This year we've been studying the theme of hope for everyday life. We started out at the beginning of this year by working through the book of 1 Peter, and in a few weeks we'll jump into a study of the book of 2 Peter. But this summer we have turned our attention to a passage of Scripture from the book of 2 Peter. I want to show it to you here. 2 Peter 1, 5-7 says this, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. And so we've been studying this verse, these verses, and we've been looking specifically at each and every one of the fruits that are here. And today, we're going to turn our attention to the fruit of biblical love, the very last one there in the list. We'll come back and catch up on some of the other ones as we go throughout the summer. Now, I realize I might be the only person in this room who hopes that when we get to heaven, you can go to the library and check out the DVD of the highlights of certain characters from the Bible. Are are there any of you who have ever thought that before? It'd be awesome to be able to watch some of these things. Well, I think that all the time. And we've spent a whole lot of time this year talking about the books of 1 and 2 Peter, and so it draws my attention to Peter, the Apostle Peter. I think it'd be incredible to watch the Apostle Peter's life. The Apostle Peter seems to be passionate and seemingly unafraid to try something crazy, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, think about Peter's life for a minute. We, we all have a friend like that, by the way, don't we? We all have that one friend who's just a little bit crazy, and if you can't identify which of your friends that is, it might be you, okay? All right, so there's that. But, but think about this. Like, think about Peter. Here he is. He's, he's on a boat in the middle of a storm. He sees Jesus walking on the water. What is his first thought? Ooh, I want to try that, right? Like, let me try that. That looks really cool. Or, or how about this? They're in the garden, and here come a bunch of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter say? Look, I took two years of Taekwondo when I was seven. I'm going to take on your entire army. I'm going to start with this guy's ear, right? Like, like that's what he does. Like, like Peter is not afraid to just jump in, right? Like, he jumps in there. In fact, later on in Peter's life, Jesus tells him that someday Peter would deny Jesus. And what does Peter do? He's like ready to fight Jesus. Like there is absolutely no way that's going to happen. And then it does. And then we see Peter preaching later in the book of Acts. He preaches with great conviction. It's greater than the passion that he had when he denied Christ. And he preaches on the resurrection of Christ. And God chooses to bless that sermon. And thousands turn to Christ as their Savior. But would you ever consider one of the characteristics of Peter to be love? Today we're turning our attention to the fruit of biblical love. The the theme of love is not a new suggestion from the Apostle Peter. If you remember back to 1 Peter chapter 4, he said this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So Peter's been telling us for a while that love must be one of the priorities in our life. Now, if Peter's telling us that, then we need to stop and ask a question. How are you doing in adding love to one of the priorities of your life? Would you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me to the book of Ruth? Turn to the book of Ruth. That's page 199 of the front section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our series this summer is called 
hope for fruitful service. And as we've taken these fruits apart, we're looking at them, at each one of the fruits. We've decided that this year what we would do is we would look for some examples or illustrations from the Bible of various characters or people within the Bible that illustrate these points well. By the way, that's a great thing for us to do. I hope that as a believer, you're not just a New Testament reader, but that you are finding a ton of truth from what all of God's Word has to say. Romans 15.4 tells us, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Friends, the greatest hope for you in the midst of whatever trial you will face in life is to remember the faithfulness of God, and you have tons of examples of that throughout Scripture. Today we're going to do an overview of the book of Ruth. We're going to consider four evidences of a person who is diligent at growing in biblical love. Now, in order for us to be able to best use our time, we need to have a basic understanding of the book of Ruth. Some of you in this room may know all about the book of Ruth. Some of you in this room may love the book of Ruth. In fact, it might be your favorite book in the entire Bible. You might love to read about it. Some of you may have never even turned to the book of Ruth before in your time of studying God's Word. Some of you in this room may still be learning about the Bible and how the timeline of the Bible all fits together. So wherever you fit on that scale, what we're about to do for the next few minutes is going to be helpful for you as we review the theme of Ruth and where Ruth fits in the Bible timeline. Here's a quick summary of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth occurs during the time of the judges. All right, so let's think about the time of the judges here for a few minutes. It was between the years 1370 and 1040 BC. Now, you might say, Pastor Johnny, what is this history class? Why do I need to know these dates? Well, these dates are incredibly important for you to know that because there are two huge events that are going on where this fits, all right? In 1440 was the approximate date of the exodus of God's people from bondage in Egypt, right? You might know where you can read about that. There's a book called Exodus, all right? We're not going to review that book today, okay? But you can do that on your own time this week. But that's, that's where it is. So between the books of Exodus and then in the year 1000 is the beginning of the reign of King David, all right? David is an important figure for us to know. He's the second king of Israel. So the period of the judges and, and more importantly, the book of Ruth, take place between the Exodus and King David. Now, we need to understand what's going on in their um, nation at this point in time. We don't want to take too much time here describing all of the judges, okay? But we do need to understand the mentality of the people at this point in time. Here's two ideas that are central to understanding that period of time. First of all, it was cyclical in nature, All right, so here's what would happen. In the book of Judges, we see these cycles repeat themselves over and over and over again. The cycles are characterized by sin, predominantly worshiping of false gods. Then they go into bondage, where they're taken into bondage by some foreign nation. Then God delivers them with a judge that God will raise up for them. And then there'll be a period of time of peace that will come for a short period of time. But what begins to happen during the peace? Well, the people stop becoming thankful. They stop responding with obedience to what God has given to them. And instead, they start to turn to idolatry again. And then what happens? The cycle starts all over again. Here's the second idea that's 
thought about in the book of Judges that we need to understand as we study the book of Ruth. Here's the very last verse of the book of Judges. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what was the state of the people who were supposed to be set apart to be God's chosen people? What is the state of these people? They are in desperate need of a redeemer. They don't just need a short, temporary fix like they had in the judges. They need a long-term redeemer that can help them stop the cycles that they've been living through for all of these years. They need someone who can help them be able to live their lives in peace and joy and in the way that they desire. And that's where the book of Ruth comes into play. Johann Wolfgang Goethe said this, The book of Ruth is the loveliest complete work on a small scale. Let me tell you the basic storyline before we dive into our study here. Here's the basic storyline of the book of Ruth. There is a woman that we meet at the very beginning whose name is Naomi. Naomi is a Jewish woman who lived in the town of Bethlehem. By the way, the town of Bethlehem is pretty significant. The, the, word, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Okay, so that's where she lives. She has a husband. His name is Elimelech, and she has two sons. One's named Milan, and the other one is Chilion. And God allowed a famine in Israel. So here's what happens. They live in the place called the house of bread, but they have no food. So Elimelech decides to take his family to the country of Moab. Which, by the way, that was a very odd thing to do because Moab was an enemy of Israel. The nation started when Lot had an inappropriate relationship with one of his daughters. So, like, just to give you an understanding of what's going on here. And by the way, the Bible is silent on whether going to Moab was, sinful, was a sinful decision or not. But we should probably pause here and consider this. It probably wasn't a very wise decision to go to Moab. Here's what we know about Moab. Moab is a pagan land with foreign gods. Going to Moab was playing with fire. God had called his people to be separate from the surrounding lands. But Elimelech decided that he is going to take his family here. By the end of verse 3, we find out some incredible things. Elimelech dies. So immediately he moves his family to Moab. And then three verses in, Elimelech dies. And the two sons marry two women from Moab. One is named Orpah, and the other is named Ruth. And then what happens next? Both of the sons die. At this point, Naomi heard that the famine was over in Bethlehem, and she decided to return. Now, let's just pause here and think for a second. They moved because of famine. They arrive in Moab, immediately her husband dies, and then her two sons die. Now she's in a foreign land. She finds out the famine is over, and she tells her daughters-in-law to make, to go back to their own families. And surprisingly, in her command to them, she tells them, return to your gods. In other words, here's what she was saying to them. Jehovah has let me down. He didn't provide for me. So you might as well go back and worship someone else. Now, 
Let's just think for a minute about how the book of Ruth fits into the sweep of Scripture. See, when life was getting hard, instead of running to God for her strength or encouraging her daughters-in-law to run to God, she was ready for them to abandon God. Naomi, as an individual, was what Israel was as a nation. So Orpah takes Naomi up on her suggestion. We never hear from Orpah again. But Ruth, the Moabitess woman, makes an incredible statement of faith. Look at Ruth 1, 16 through 17. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Now let's just think about that for a second. That's love. That's an incredible kind of love. That's the love that Peter was talking about. So they go back to Bethlehem. And as they're coming back into town, as you would imagine, the people from town run out to see Naomi. And, and she responds to them as they come out. They say, is this Naomi who left us? And she responds with this. Ruth 1, 20 through 21. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the mighty ha- Almighty has afflicted me? Well, doesn't that sound exactly like something you would expect to hear the people in the book of Judges say? Right? I'm just going to have to do what's right in my own eyes. It also illustrates how bitterness affects your pattern of thinking. Right? I, I went out full. <laughs> Wasn't it during a famine when she went out? Like, how full was she? They actually left because they weren't full, right? But I went out full and the Lord brought me back empty. John Piper said it this way, When we've decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter we cannot see the rays of light peeping out around the clouds. It was God who broke the famine and opened a way home for Naomi. It was God who will provide a kinsman to continue Naomi's line. And it was God who caused Ruth to stay with Naomi. But Naomi is so embittered by God's hard providence that she cannot see his mercy at work in her life. Now, that's enough about Naomi for now. Let's turn our attention to Ruth. How would you have liked to have been Ruth in that moment? And and more importantly, how would you treat a person who, by their own admission, was so full of bitterness that she chose as her new name a word that described her bitterness? Well, the answer is this, at least for a person who listened to what Peter said, although he came after the judges, I realize that, but if you wanted to live in a way that would be consistent with what Peter is trying to teach us, then your response to that bitter person would be love. Her love is shown throughout this book. It's shown by her going out to glean in the fields to find food, not just for her, but for her mother-in-law. Her love is rewarded by a man who turns out to be the kinsman redeemer who makes it a way for Elimelech's name to continue. And finally, she's rewarded with a little baby whose identity we'll talk about a little later on. So with all that information laid out, let us look at four characteristics of love being evidenced in the life of Ruth. First of all, 
Ruth loved God by committing herself to him. The love that we see Ruth demonstrate is nothing short of amazing. It's certainly not a natural response. Like, we would expect a certain response to come, right? My husband died. My mother-in-law is bitter. I can't wait to get away from her. But this kind of love is one of the fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no love. So here's what I'm saying to you, friends. If you are a follower of Christ, you should possess this kind of love. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be seeking to grow in this kind of love that is completely incomprehensible. Like, how in the world could she love this much? So how do you grow in the fruits of the Spirit? Well, it starts when you first trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. And then you begin to live your life as you follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have bought with, been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now this is good news. There's two characters in this story, right? You remember who they are? If you need to write them down on the side so you don't forget them, Naomi is the bitter one, and Ruth is the loving one. You may be sitting here today and thinking in your mind, I know someone who's like Naomi. Their life is constantly bitter. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent or a boss or a co-worker or a neighbor or a teacher. Maybe you know someone who's constantly bitter, and you might be thinking this, Pastor Johnny, do you know how hard it is to love a person who is bitter about everything? I mean, bitter people find a way to find a rain cloud on a sunny day. Everything that they do, everything that a person does around a bitter person is somehow twisted into be spiteful in their perspective. They complain about everything. They complain about all the people that they know in their life. It's just constant bitterness. You might say, well, Pastor Johnny, I have someone in my life that's hard to love, but they're not bitter. Well, guess what? This applies today as well. And I want to pause and take a moment today and encourage you with this thought that even though it's not a natural step to love them, you can love those who are hard to love with the help of the Holy Spirit. As you grow in your walk with the Lord, He will strengthen you. Now, you can't expect to love those who are difficult to love if you haven't first accepted the ultimate gift of love. In the Old Testament, people were brought into a saving relationship with Jesus based on their faith. Romans 4, 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's exactly what Ruth did. While all the Jewish people were set apart to God, a nation who was designated to be a visible representation of an invisible God were busy running after every other God. While all of those Jewish people who should have been devoted solely to God were busy doing whatever was right in their own eyes. Ruth was placing all her trust in the God that Naomi claimed to follow. Now, you might be sitting here too and you might be thinking, Pastor Johnny, do you even know what all I'm going through right now? How in the world could I possibly trust God like that? My life's too hard to trust God. God's taken too much from me for me to be able to trust Him. 
God's allowed me to be in the midst of way more than I could ever handle. How could I trust him? Let me remind you that Ruth was not exactly having a great season of life either. And yet she still chose to love God in the face of unspeakable grief. We talked about this, and you can see it if you look at Ruth 1, 5 through 16, but Ruth has lost a lot too, right? I mean, her husband has died. Her father-in-law has died. And now she's making a decision to leave and to follow her mother-in-law back to a foreign land for her. In fact, her own sister-in-law had decided, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going away. But Ruth says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, we don't know this. How did Ruth come to know God? How does she come to the place to have a trust in God? From everything we can tell, Naomi was bitter, but maybe it was that her husband talked to her about her. Maybe her father-in-law had talked to her. Maybe even Naomi at some time before she was bitter had talked to her. We're not sure all the details, but we know this. The transformation had clearly happened in her life. Friends, I want to say this to you today. Regardless of where you may be in life and how much you may be suffering, because of the free gift of Christ as offered at the cross and by His resurrection, you too can be changed to be this devoted to God. And who knows how that may end up impacting others, right? Look at Ruth's life and we'll see at the end how much her transformation impacted so many more. Friends, you want to love others like Peter commands you to love others? It has to start with Christ changing you. I read a book once that greatly illustrated this. It's, in fact, it's, it's always on my mind, and I think about it a lot. It's a book called Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand about Louis Zamperini. You guys familiar with that book? Some of you, there's been a movie that's come out since then. But Louis was an Olympic athlete who had become a bombardier on a B-24 bomber during World War II. His plane was flying and had crashed in the Pacific Ocean, and he survived on a life raft for 47 days floating in the ocean. It's truly incredible that he even survived. And then just when he thought he was going to be rescued, he ended up being captured by the Japanese and placed into a prisoner of war camp. And so he's put in this prisoner of war camp. And much of the book describes the horrible treatment that was given to him while he was in this war camp. And the worst of his pain came from one specific general in the Japanese army who was nicknamed the Bird. This man did all kinds of horrible things to Louis. In fact, after the war, Louis lived a life of horror as he struggled with the wickedness that he had encountered. He turned to all kinds of different things. He became an alcoholic. He he just was running all over the place. However, the book and the story changes when he stumbles into a Billy Graham evangelistic meeting And as a result, he ended up placing his trust in Christ. Later in his life, he had the opportunity to return to Japan, where he was able to speak to many of the soldiers who had treated him poorly, and many of those soldiers ended up committing their life to Christ. But there was one person who he really wanted to see that wasn't there. It was the bird. That man didn't show up. And so Louis wrote him this letter. I want you to hear this, how the gospel can transform a life that's gone through horrible things. He wrote this, As a result of my prisoner war experience, under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. 
Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugumo Prison. I asked about you and was told that you probably had committed harakiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. Friend, I want to say this, the ultimate hope that you have to have love in life first has to start when you understand the love that Christ offers you. And when you understand that, regardless of the unspeakable grief you have gone through in life, it will change you and it will change your outlook on life. It's only possible to live like this when you understand how much God has loved and forgiven you. It's only possible to love a bitter mother-in-law with the devotion that Ruth shows if you realize how much God has loved and forgiven you. It's only possible to live how Peter has suggested we should be growing in love if you realize how much God has loved and forgiven you. But not only did Ruth have to trust God as a result of her own unspeakable grief, But she also had to do it, although others were becoming bitter. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Here's what she's saying to her. This is what Naomi is saying to Ruth. Look, your sister-in-law has realized that my people and my God are not going to bring her the life that she wants, so she went home. So trust me when I say this to you. You should do the same thing. Go back and find your own happiness again with your own people and find your own happiness with your own gods. And then a little bit later on in verses 20 through 22, Naomi says this, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Can you imagine what it had to be like to spend every day with someone who was that bitter? I can only imagine that it would be like being in a room with a faucet that drips just slowly enough to annoy you. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just that constant drip. Or have you ever been in a house or somewhere where the battery needs to be changed in the smoke alarm and so it just beeps nonstop, right? Like I can imagine that that's what it would be like, right? Like just this constant reminder of misery. I mean, the bitterness just disrupts everything on a regular basis. Now, if Naomi was this bitter while telling all the ladies who came out in the welcoming committee to greet her how bitter she was, imagine how comfortable she was talking about how bitter she was to the very one who lived in her same house. However, Ruth still chose to love God and to follow Him. 1 John four nineteen through 21 says this, We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and He hates His brother, He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. 
Ruth chose to love God, not because others around her were making it easy for her to love God. Likewise, we must choose to love God because God first loves us. So, when that love's properly in place, we can properly love others. Next, the next way Ruth was growing in love. Ruth loved God by trusting His Word. Love is more than a fluttering feeling that you get when you're in the presence of someone who cares for you, right? Love is more than the feeling you get when someone does something amazing for you. Love has been described as an action verb. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, what is going on here in this particular verse, right? We already know Ruth's demonstrated love by coming back with her, but now she's proposing something, a way to provide food for them. She's referring to this Old Testament principle that was practiced in letting people or the poor people glean after the farmers. In other words, the owners of a field would instruct their reapers to allow those who were poor to follow behind them as they were harvesting whatever it was they were harvesting their crops and to let some of it to fall to them so that they could gather it and they could take it home for them to eat. In other words, you couldn't be a landowner who was going to be selfish with every little particle of grain, right? Like, like get off of my property, right? Like that, You couldn't have that kind of attitude. It was expected that you would allow the poor people to come there and to find this stuff. There's two takeaways from this part of the story. This only works if the landowner is willing to allow the poor people to follow this principle, right? If you have a get-off-my-property attitude, that principle doesn't work very well. Okay, But that's not what's going to happen in the story. And Ruth was going to glean in the field, not just for herself. right? She, she wasn't like, listen, Naomi, you can fill yourself with your own tears. I'm about to go get myself some grain so I've got something to eat. Like, No, she's going out here on purpose to glean because she loves her mother-in-law. So she goes with a willingness to exert effort to demonstrate her love. An amazing thing happens in this verse. While Naomi stays inside and continues to ferment in her bitterness, Ruth demonstrates her love for her mother-in-law by going out to the field to provide for her. And God provides for Ruth because of her love. What happens? Well, the man who owns the field is a man named Boaz. Boaz is a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And he shows great kindness to Ruth. In fact, he invites her to stay in the field. Stay here as long as you would like. Gather as much as you want. In fact, he told his servants, don't chase her away. Don't even touch her. Like, I don't even want you guys to approach her. Just stay away. And then he provides her with water while she's working so that she can get a drink. So how does Ruth respond to this kindness? Well, she responds with humility in light of God's blessing. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. Why did Ruth love Naomi? She loved Naomi because she first loved Christ, who first loved her. And that's a principle we have to cling to. 
We love God because God first loved us. But in a world full of selfishness, a person who loves like this will stick out and will be noticed. Boaz had noticed her kindness. And as a result, he was being kind to her. Instead of taking pride in her kindness, right? Like, like Boaz sees her, recognizes it. Instead of Ruth taking pride in her kindness that she'd shown her mother-in-law, she's humbled by the way that God was using Boaz to provide for her. She could have replied all kinds of different ways. You know, Boaz, you're right. I'm pretty much the perfect daughter-in-law, right? Like, like she could have said that at this point and probably would have deserved a mug or something along those lines because it was true. Instead, what does she do? She shows great humility, So how does she show such humility? Well, by looking to the Lord for her security. Notice what Boaz said to Ruth in verse 12. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. What is the opposite of love? You might quickly think that the opposite of love is hate. And hate is surely anti-love. But I want to say this to you. I think the opposite of love is actually selfishness. When I fight to exalt myself, I cease to love others. Right? So think about this. If I need more things to make me more important or to feed my idols of ease, comfort, and value, then I stop even noticing other people that I need to love or care for. Or if I need to be exalted above others, so what I do is I try to go about life trying to be a constant example of how I am better than any other person. And so what do I begin to do? I begin to compare myself to them and show other people how I'm better than them. And comparison then becomes the enemy of compassion. But never forget this truth. The more secure I am in my Savior, the more I will love others. How are you doing with that? How are you doing and growing in biblical love? Are you loving even the ones who are hard to love because God first loved you? Are you loving even in the midst of the hard things of life because of the change that God has worked in your life? Friends, are you loving like that? Lunchtime comes around and Ruth is still busy gleaning in the field. So Boaz asked her to come and eat lunch with his workers. And Boaz tells his workers from this point on to not just leave the accidental grain behind, but to start dropping grain on purpose. Look at Ruth 2, 17 and 18. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city and her mo- to her mother-in-law. And when her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left, after she was satisfied. So I want you to think about this. What does she bring home here? She brings home an ephah of barley. It had been over half a bushel of barley or about 30 to 40 pounds of barley. Right Now I tried to think, what in the world would you make with 30 to 40 pounds of barley? That's a whole lot of like barley soup or something. I have no idea. But anyways, that's what she has. But do you notice what else she brings here? What else does she bring? Her leftover lunch. Did you pick up on that? She brings her leftover lunch and brings it to Naomi. What an incredible, loving person. As we read on in the book of Ruth, you'll notice that these acts of love and the faith demonstrated by Ruth begin to have an impact on Naomi's faith. 
And so we see that Ruth loved God by taking some appropriate risks. How does she do that? She does that, first of all, by listening to someone whom God was growing right alongside of her. Look in your Bibles right now to Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, All that you say I will do. So here's what happens. Naomi, the bitter one, makes a suggestion that Ruth go and present to Boaz as an invitation for him to become her kinsman redeemer. Now, why in the world would Ruth listen to Naomi? Maybe, just maybe. It's because as Naomi is watching the way that God is working through the love of Ruth, she's beginning to soften to the fact that God might have a greater plan. What takeaway is this? Is there for you here? Remember at the beginning we talked about those in your life that might be hard to love because of their bitterness or something else? Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to use your faithful example of love to convict and change the heart of even the bitterest person. Ruth also loves God by trusting the Lord to work in circumstances outside her control. I'm going to attempt to explain what is going on here quickly. Naomi has returned home with no males left in her family. No one was able to pass on the name of Elimelech and his family. But if one of Elimelech's relatives would marry Ruth, the daughter-in-law, then the name could be preserved. So Ruth goes to the threshing floor where all the workers were busy taking all the grains they had gathered from the day, and they were separating it from the chaff. And as they were done or finishing up their threshing, the workers would typically have a large feast to celebrate all that had happened that day. At this point, after the party is complete, Ruth goes to Boaz and asks him to marry her and to redeem the name of Elimelech's family line. So Ruth does exactly as Naomi told her to do. She presents herself to Boaz for him to become her kinsman redeemer. And we think the fairy tale ending is going to happen right there. But what does Boaz say to her? Boaz informs her, there's actually a relative that is closer to you that would have the first claim to marry you. So I'll present it to him and see what he says, and then I'll let you know after that. Ruth chooses to wait and to trust God, and in the end, Ruth loved God by shining a spotlight on redemption. I want you to notice a couple things here as we wrap up. There is some incredible integrity in Boaz's redemption that happens here. Boaz was sure to follow all the technicalities of the process. So he goes to the closer relative. Hey, there's this woman, Ruth, from Elimelech's line. Would you like to marry her? He says, no, I'll pass. And he comes back to Ruth, Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And where was that son born? He was born in Bethlehem. 
And I want you to see what ends up happening here. Look at Ruth 4, 14 through 15. Then the, woman said, the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may His name become famous in Israel. May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For you're a daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. The women tell Naomi this, that because of Ruth's love and because of the way God used Ruth's love in her life, that Ruth has ended up being better than if she would have had seven boys. When people observe you, would they recognize the ways that you love others? Ruth was evident to all. Observe the change that happened in Naomi's life as a result of this love. Ruth four sixteen and 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So what happens to Naomi? She goes from being a bitter woman to being a grandma. The one who's going to help take care of this child. Ruth four seventeen b says this, They named him Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Look who comes from the line of Ruth. Well, the great Redeemer to whom all of this points. We know this. Jesus is born from the line of David. David is born from the line of Obed. And Obed comes because a woman from a pagan land placed her faith in God and trusted him. And as a result of her trust, she loved her bitter mother-in-law. But in the end, Christ was magnified. Friends, when we love because he first loves us, when you love others like that, in the end, what ends up happening? It all ends up pointing back to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of the book of Ruth. Lord, we thank you for the fact that Ruth was able to, through her trust in you, develop a love for her bitter mother-in-law that transformed life even for her mother-in-law and for ultimately her entire nation and ultimately for us. Lord, we're so thankful for the way that you worked in her life and changed her. Lord, help us to live with that kind of love. Help us because you have loved us. Help us to love others that are difficult to love. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.